To see examples of what we talk about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. What's up, everybody? You know that song. You know this voice. It's your boy, Brooke. Sitting with me, as always, is the man who is refreshed, relaxed, and returned from a vacation. It's Mr. Don Moore. Hello, everybody. And joining us today, our guest, the absolutely, like, your, let me get this straight, writer, <laughs> podcaster, D&D DM, it is Dennis Robinson. How you doing? Uh, busy, 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 uh... I am so happy to be here, and thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, we forgot also my day job on top of all that. So. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course, day job on top of all that, man. I mean, you know, I, I got to tell you, uh, sit down. I read this book. The book is Lycan, Solomon's Odyssey. This is chapter one, and uh, you're, you've already got the Kickstarter up for chapter two for everybody to start watching for when it goes live. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that comes to mind to to mind when I look th- when I read this and and went through it was quality. Holy cow, yeah. the quality! Correct me if I'm wrong. This is your first comic book. Yes, this is my first. <laughs> Dude, what? an amazing amount of work you have done here this is i Thank mean you. when i say quality first off we're talking 70 70 uh, so 60 pages of story 12 pages of extras so like okay character concept and like kickstarter thank you stuff that's in the, the back of the book yeah but i mean every single bit of this is done with i mean such an eye to detail mm-hmm. uh where did this story come from what got you going on this so I've always been into werewolves since I was a little kid. Um, back when I was in elementary school, which is the long, 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 long ago, um, they would do library time. They had a little library inside the elementary school. They'd basically just drop us off and say, go figure out you know, something to read. And I, I saw this purple book with gold trim, and it was essentially – I don't know if they even still make books like this anymore, but it, it was basically just a picture book about the movie. So, like, it had pictures from the movie and then text to go along with it where it basically told the story of the movie. And it was Lon Chaney's The Original Wolfman. Oh, and they, nice. had, they had one of them for each of the Universal Monsters, which is how I got into all the other ones too. And I, I had never seen a werewolf before. So I'd never heard of it before. So I'm sitting there. I didn't even read it at the time. I was mostly just super into the pictures. I was just flipping through here, and it showed the transformation, all that stuff. And I was just – I always really dug that idea, that, that sort of duality, but also like the the other half is sort of like this feral, more uh, bestial nature kind of thing, which is probably also why I like the Hulk. Uh, he's one of my favorite superheroes, so kind of lends to that and as well. Um and so I, I like telling stories, uh, as you could probably tell from the D&D podcast. It's something <laughs> I just kind of keep falling into. And I had this idea for a comic book back in 2009. 
and I had the idea and I wrote some stuff out on some yellow pieces of paper that are probably rolled up somewhere in my house. I have no idea where. I haven't seen them in over 10 years. But um, And then I just put them away and didn't think anything of it. And as I started podcasting, we went to Dragon Con. Uh, or have either of you ever been to Dragon Con before? I have not. My no. daughter has gone a few times. I have not. Okay. I highly, highly recommend going to Dragon Con for anybody who's into anything nerdy that you can possibly imagine. Something will be there for you. Um, I've, I've literally seen a brave little toaster cosplay every single year that I've gone to Dragon Con. So you will see really? the most obscure crap at Dragon Con. It's crazy. I love it. Um, but so we started going to Dragon Con for Botched and started hanging out with all these other podcasters and all these other nerds. And so I just decided to pitch the comic book idea. I said, hey, you know, I wrote this idea a long time ago. What do you guys think? And they said, you should write this up. And so that's sort of how I got onto this track. I started writing it. That was about five years ago. And then slowly and slowly and slowly, speed bump after speed bump after speed bump, until finally the book came out last year, did, or, or a couple weeks ago. The Kickstarter came out last year, but the actual book didn't print until just a little bit ago. So, okay, that's okay. how I am where I am right now, I guess. Man, uh, and so was it the Dragon Con connections that, uh, that hooked you up with artists, inkers, everybody that worked on it with you? Kind of. So the one thing that I always recommend to everybody in any walk of life is networking. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I always say about networking is never network with the intent of using somebody because they'll smell that a mile away. Literally just network to make friends and then literally scratch their back. Like just go out of your way to do something for them instead. And then, you know, later on down the road, after you've already built a relationship, you could say, hey, I'm working on this. Do you know anybody that might be able to help with this or that? So through Botched, um, our first live show at Dragon Con. One of the people in the front row, if I go back and look at pictures, I can literally see her in there. And she's been following us ever since. She's really, really, really into the show, but also strangely connected in the comic universe. She did some sort of – her name is Shannon Tucker. She did some sort of charity function for former uh, comic book artists that are like down in their luck. So Mm -hmm. they were doing something like that. And she met Garth Ennis and all these other people. And she ended up becoming friends with Jim Starlin, of all people. And she would tour around to different conventions with Jim Starlin, and then she'd make friends with all these other people. So when I started doing the comic book thing, I reached out. I said, hey, do you have any suggestions for for people to reach out to? And through her, I met my first editor, Henri Kumpen. And he started giving me some tips and tricks and things like that. And then he had set me up with his first editor or teacher or something like that. And at that time, the way the book was written, it was like a really weird mutation between a comic book and an actual book. So it like didn't really fit in anything, but it, I didn't really know how to write a comic book. So I just kind of did it that way to get the story across. I gave it to people that I knew and said, hey, read this, give me suggestions, and I'll make fixes. So when Henri gave me uh, this guy's name, I sent him all the stuff, and he said, there's nothing salvageable about this book in any way, shape, or form. You should abandon it. But if you'd like to learn how to write other stories, you can pay me $1,800, and I'll teach you. And I was like, I'm, I'm good, thanks. Wow. Um, so Shannon then pitched the book to Henri, and anytime Shannon pitches the book to anybody, 
I don't know what she says, but I guess she just says it in a very passionate mm. way because after she talks to them, they are on board. And so Henri said, I, I want to be your editor. And he looked over what I had and he goes, I can see why he would like have that sort of like take because of the way that it's written. Like it's very, very rough. He's like, but the story is still good. We just need to clean it up and put it in an actual script format. So that's what we did. He helped coach me on, you know, how to write, like, what should be in dialogue, what should be in captions, how should you make panels, how many panels per page, how many captions per panel, like all this different stuff that I I didn't know anything about previously. He was teaching me on how to do that stuff. And uh, then as far as art goes, the first time we did, and like I said, this is why it took five years, there were a lot of speed bumps. We tried doing deviant art, and I forget the other methods, but you get so many submissions that are not very good yeah. that it just didn't go anywhere. And then Audrey yeah. dropped off the project because uh, he was busy with cons, and I was left to my own devices. So then because of networking again through the podcast, I reached out to one of my uh, artists that we have work that does work for the show – and her husband works in the comics industry. He's done work for Marvel and DC. His name's Gabo. And um, I reached out to him and I said, hey, I'm trying to find artists. I tried DeviantArt. I didn't really like how that turned out. Can you give me a suggestion? And he set me up with a Facebook page called, I think it's called Pairing Writers with Artists. And you have to be approved to get into it. It's not like anybody can just join willy-nilly. And when you make a post, it can't be like, oh, I'll pay you in uh, – What's it? Uh, what's that old thing that people always say? I'll pay you in um, time for trade. Time for trade, or like just like exposure. No, I'll yeah, pay yeah, you exposure. exposure. That's what it is. Yeah. Oh, so, exposure, man. Exposure is great. Yeah, they, they're like they literally say on there. If you try and make a post saying we'll trade you exposure, we'll just delete your post and kick you out of the group. So I, I, I put it out an ad on there and said, you know, I'm flexible as far as rate goes, but you know, th- these are the different styles I'm looking for. I was looking at two books that I wanted to sort of smash together. One's called Hillbilly, because I really like the way it's stylized. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I think it's called The Love of the Lion or something like that. I love the way that it's drawn and colored. It looks hand-drawn. And there's a bunch of different books in the series. There's like a fox one and a tiger one and all this other stuff. But there's no inking. The lines are very thin. It looks like sketches, but like watercolor paint basically is what it looks like it's very very pretty so i I saw these two styles and i was like i want to marry these two styles together who can do it and i started getting submissions that way and i met my artist sal denaire who's from spain through there and then one of the tryouts was also for a company called stone tower comics and they they did a tryout but i didn't like the way that it was drawn but i loved the way that it was colored and i said hey i know you offered me like a whole team but I kind of just want your colorist. Is that okay if I just take your colorist? And they go, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I was like, sweet. So his name is Ezekiel Dominguez. He's down in Argentina. And then the letterer is uh, Joel, um, I always forget his last name, but he's also from Argentina. I got him through Henri. So sort of through through networking, I would say, is pretty much how I put the entire team together. Yeah. And I, I have a writing editor who is from a sister podcast, uh, uh, Adventure Incorporated, sister D&D podcast, I should say. Yeah. Um, that's my editor, Steph Crugnola, and then my now art editor is Gabo, who I previously mentioned. So, man, man, that, <laughs> you took a path, man. You took a heck of a path. Yeah, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah it, 
<laughs> How discouraged were you when when the guy told you to throw it out? Were were you just like, okay, maybe I don't have anything, or did you look yeah. at him like, no way, no way? Uh, I well, got so so it it kind of came at a perfect storm of crap moment. Where at the time we were doing Twitch streaming, it was called Bro Migos of the Apoc or Steam Stream Apocalypse or something like that. I forget. And we would play games as like a group of us. And as I had said, I'd given the rough script out to my friends to review to give me ideas for story and characters and things like that to tell me you know what needs to change. And I gave it to everybody that was on that show, but none of them read it. And then on the show, a bunch of times for funsies, they would just bring up a random part of the book and read it out on stream, but make fun of it. So I was getting that for like we're talking like 30, 40 minutes straight of just wow. constantly just ripping friends, super great friends. So there was that, and then I got that message from him, and I was in a terrible job at the moment. So it was just like this big culmination of me being in a really bad place, and I was literally ready to give up. I said, you know what, I'm done. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bow out. This obviously is not gonna work out. If nothing is sal, I mean nothing is salvageable. Nothing, not one thing. Okay, yeah. Um, and oddly enough, one of those guys that was busting uh, my balls on the stream said, if you don't follow through with this book, I will be incredibly disappointed in you. <laughs> and I was like, are you serious? Because you, you literally give me crap all the time. He's like, I don't care. If you don't follow through on this and just give it a shot, I'm going to be disappointed. So I was like, okay. So that sort of lit a new fire. And then that's when Shannon messaged Henri about or didn't message him. I think they were having dinner someplace and she just pitched it. And he called me up and said, I want to be your editor on this book. And so that's how that got started. So yes. So it almost didn't happen. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, one thing on all this, I can't stress is what Rook had said. It's a really, it's a really nice, nicely done book. Uh, everything. Thank you. Um, the, the way the lettering reads, the coloring, um, everything works well together. The artwork was really strong, but it's one thing when it's somebody's first work in a new field. Sometimes it seems, I, I'm not even able to express it, sometimes it's clunky how it reads. This one, it read really smooth. Um, the characters really pulled me in. I like the relationships, and um. I, we we go out of our way not to give away anything unless the writer does. But we sure. um. <laughs> but I was hoping what you you mentioned earlier what what the book was going to be about. I was hoping that wouldn't happen, and I'd get to read more about <laughs> these characters in this time period. Um, I liked the relationships with the main character and, and his brother, mm -hmm. his friends. And then um, his future wife. I. It wasn't predictable, and I felt like I was there. I mean, it, it really. I like that kind of stuff. I I really like ancient tribal stuff. That's just what I I always tend to go for. Yeah. Um. But it read. It's a long book, but it didn't read like a long book. Um. It just. It was really smooth, and I was really surprised. The story you're telling about, when you show somebody your work and you're asking questions, and that happens a lot when somebody shoots it down, and it's, it's no offense on them. I'm sure they really meant sure. that, and they're just thinking. Sometimes it's harder to fix something than just to start over again. And I, I think yeah. that's where the person was coming from. Mm -hmm. But 
saying that, this one didn't read like you're trying to take a broken ship and trying to patch it together and pass it out there. It, I was surprised when I looked you up and found out this was your first comic work. And I said, all these, you know, seasoned professionals. This was a really, really, really nice package. Um, Thank you. I can't think of anything to it that, um, that honestly, that could be better. They could be approved. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, that means a lot. Yeah, I, I, I got to tell you, like when I got done reading it, and I always, I always read whatever's whatever's sent to us. Yeah. And I got done reading this, and then started looking into you and trying to figure out, you know, what else you've worked on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was rather surprised to find, like, yeah. you know. <laughs> y- 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 like not 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 finding any of the other comic book work from you was was shocking. So yeah. you know, yeah, it's, a, you, it's cra- so. What's funny is most of what I do write or did writing wise was corporate writing, which I hate. I hate corporate writing. I like yeah. telling stories, and there's no there's no real room for that in corporate. So I've always disliked it. But then when I started doing D and D, that allowed me to. Which is kind of funny because when I first started doing the show, I did more writing for the show. They're a bunch of murder hobos, so I never know what they're going to do. So I don't really write as much. I kind of make it up all on the spot. Um, but yeah, it means a ton that you say that about you know the, the first work. Um, and I, I'm glad that all the characters resonated with you. Yeah. I love mythology and folklore and all that's like everything in that sort of field. And I've always been really drawn to that. So with the series, I wanted to try and stay close to where history is or was, but also sort of do like a minor retelling or like things that were going on at the same time, but you might not have like read about it. And why would you not know about it? Oh, well, this is why you don't know about it. This terrible, awful thing happened. Um, And so like each book typically takes place in a different slightly different time period, like moving along on a track. The second book, which is coming out in September, that one takes place right after the first book. So we're still in that sort of prehistory time. But in the course of that second book, I would say, I'm trying to remember the exact timeline, but it's hundreds of years take place. So there's a big time jump by the end of the second book before the third book uh, kicks off, uh, which the third book's already written. It's just production on the third book doesn't start Till the second book is huh. done with production, so it's like a little conveyor belt. So, how many do you have planned? Fifteen. Nice. nice. That's nice. that's the pl- so originally. So, like I said, I had no idea how to make a comic book. So my plan was, I was like, okay, um, I have these five chapters per arc, and I have three arcs. Okay. Well, I'll just make a book that's the five chapters because, you know, five chapters for a book, that's fine. So it would be like a 500-page book, and everyone's like, you can't do a 500-page book. Like, it would be so insanely expensive to do, and, like, yes. you'd have to charge so much money. Nobody would ever pay for it, <laughs> so don't do that. Um, that was the only good advice I got from a comic panel uh, at DragonCon that I went to because mm. I started going to all these different comic panels to try and get information. And it was a guy who literally – his his comic series was uh, backed by like a millionaire and his artist was picked by a movie producer and like all this stuff and I was just like so then you're not going to have any information that's useful for me you literally <laughs> somebody paid for everything to just go together I'm doing it all myself trying to piece it all together but he did say because I asked the question he goes don't make your books that long he's like literally short them 
So that's why I'm still doing three arcs, and each arc is five chapters, but now I'm releasing just each chapter individually. And it almost didn't come out that way, because my first editor said, we can't have a 60-page or a 72-page book. Can't do that. It's, it's going to be too expensive, so cut it in half. So cut the first chapter in half, and then you'll release two books, and that'll be your chapter one. So book one and book two would be chapter one. And um, so what I had written originally was like 50-ish pages, mm -hmm. and then we chopped it down to 24. But as I read it, I was just like, ah, I don't like it. I kind of want to add a little bit more here. Or the artist was like, you got too many panels on this page. Can you move them? I was like, okay, well, moving them is difficult. What if I just kind of make another page and then sort of shuffle panels around that way? Because – when I have a story in my head, I kind of want the story to, to happen the way that I envision yeah. it. So if I have to make cuts or edits or add things, I don't want to adjust the overall major points of the story. I kind of want to stay within the bones. You um, want to stay true to the idea and the story that you created. Yeah. And, it, you know, kudos to you for doing that. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, yeah. so it's, it's funny with that. Um, so my, my first editor <laughs> – so the way the, the way the book is right now, the sixty pages, he said we could tell that story, the entire sixty pages, we could tell that in twenty four. I said, what? So I, don't I said, think we, so. I said we can't. There's no way. He's like, no, I promise we could tell the entire book in twenty four pages, and you have the same emotional impact. And I said, if you write me up an outline, and it makes sense to me, we'll go that route. And he wrote me up an outline, and literally he would have characters appear and then disappear within like the same page or like a page of each other. And I was like, no one's going to care about any of these characters. Like no one's going to get attached to anything. There's no build up. There's no, there's no time for backstory. Like just no, we're not doing it. So then yeah. I fought and we, we still split the book in half cause it, this was before COVID. So I made it 24 and then 24 became 26 and then 26 became 28 and then 28 became 30. Um, <laughs> and then COVID hit and production got slowed because the artist got really sick. He didn't have COVID, but he, it, he lost like a month or two of production. And I was aiming for a Kickstarter of uh, September for DragonCon. So I said, well, at this rate, they're going to have the second book done by the time DragonCon rolls around. So I may as well just smash them back together and just release it as one big book again. And so that's what I, that's what I ended up doing. I just went back to my original plan. <laughs> Where where is the break? It, okay, so I'm just curious because I was uh, as I'm going through it, uh, there's a part where it separates where you see the left eye, right eye. Is yeah. that break? Nope. No, it's right that wasn't. It's okay. right before that. So right after Solomon gets home, and there's a <laughs> shot where uh, there's a doll left on the ground, and he's in the background. That's the right. that was the original break. That was the teaser. Uh, gotcha. When you mentioned this, uh, maybe we should tell the listeners what the book is about, because I don't think we've even oh, spoken sure. about that. <laughs> I guess we haven't said that. <laughs> we've not done that. Dude, sorry. Sure. Um, so if you want, I can practice my elevator pitch, as I've yeah, never really got to I'm use hoping. it. But I'm going to try it. You tell me if it's a bad one or a good one. So, Lycan Salmon's Odyssey is the story of the world's first werewolf and is a mixture of PTSD and addiction issues while touching on themes of mythology, folklore, history, and religion. That's really good. Uh, I was right. really going out of my way not to tell anything at all about the story that you said it. Um, the one thing, when I picked this up, just to be honest, a lot of the books that you know people have been coming on and talking about 
um, zombie, different types of zombies. They're not typical. Sure. Uh, we've had a lot of um, a lot of Western style. I, I like I like the diversity of all the stuff we've been getting. Mm -hmm. But um, like you, I've loved werewolves since I was really small, and um, when I picked it up, I thought, okay, uh, uh, a, a different take on a werewolf. Okay, um, this one really threw me. Um, it wasn't, you know, as we said before, it's not typical. But when you start reading it, you tend to forget and. I know this is going to sound strange. I've been reading comic books since I was, well, I've, I've had them since I was four, three and four, but I really started reading them when I was seven, back in, in the mid-60s. And um, I've read a lot of superhero comics. I still pick them up. I like them. But I don't really enjoy origin stories so much. When I, when I say that, when it's a new series, you pick it up and they have the origin story, and then it picks up from there. Um, sometimes the origin story is really incredible, but the rest of the, the stories are so-so, like, okay, we told it now, what do we do? Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a big fan of the comic book movies that are coming out, but you know, the first Spider-Man movie told his origin. Oh, okay. How many times have they retold the origin and all these different things? I mean, honestly, you need, what, three different movies telling you the same one? Batman, same thing. How many times have you seen Martha die? <laughs> yeah, Martha, and, um, Martha yeah Superman. Um, Connected to this, how many times have we seen the origin of Dracula? Yeah, yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. well, in Night Shyamalan, when he did that movie Unbroken, uh, somebody, oh, yeah, yeah. when I first got the DVD player, everybody decided to lend me their DVDs. This is back when it was you know very scarce and I watched the movie and then it was finished they had the I always watch audio commentary and mm -hmm. he was saying he never really liked comic books because the you know he liked the origin stories he found that was the most interesting part good enough but the stories that came afterward weren't so that was basically the whole movie was an origin story and that's fine but most of the times when I was reading comics I never read the origin story because that was before I was reading comics, mm -hmm. you know. And then when I come along, I'd read them. I, I, this this turned out to be longer than I meant to, but <laughs> I um. But you know, sometimes you go back and find an old issue and find out how Captain America became Captain America, you know, or how Spider Man. Mm -hmm. became, um, I asked an older kid one time. I, I collected Spider Man, but I never knew how he became. And you never read that, so he lent it to me. It was okay. Anyway, with this one, I said earlier, I was really hoping that what you're going to plan on doing wasn't going to happen. But then after it happened and I finished <laughs> the book, I thought, okay, that, that was something. That was, it was a really good story before that. It told a person's past. Now I'm looking forward to what he's going to do. And you understand, I've read other stories, many, where they... They tell this happened to the person, but they don't show it. Yeah. This one, um, when he goes through through life, I'm always going to remember that first story. That, that was the impact of it. I, that was that was really something. Uh, after I read it, thank you. I I haven't stopped thinking about that. So I mean, that's you know, my hats off to you. Thank you. I w I was really worried about this one 
because I'm like you, origin stories are tricky because they've all been told to death anyways, so it's very hard to avoid certain tropes. And um, this one has a very Faustian feel to it um, because, you know, you have to kickstart things a certain way. Now, obviously, the way that it spins out is not as... uh, doesn't work quite the same way as a lot of other tales, uh, you know, similar told, but... Um, but I was worried about that with the first book, that it would be too tropey. People be like, ah, I've mm. seen this. Okay, fine, fine, you know, whatever. So I'm glad that, that it, you know, it touched you and that it um, it didn't come off that way, I guess. Well, I think one of the things that I enjoyed most about it is the origin of werewolves. I've seen it done in Germanic uh, settings. I've seen it done in Celtic settings. You set this right at right at the birth of civilization in in Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. uh, you know so it, it was very interesting the way that you, you put put that that the location alone was enough for me to go okay we're huh. definitely different yeah. that's that I appreciated first and foremost because I mean anybody can tell uh, werewolves origin origin from you know the ancient Germanic and Celtic forests. I mean sure. that, that's that's tropey. Yeah, <laughs> you know having them come out of uh, the the areas that you have them coming out of is very different. Yeah, uh, I, I I have a question for you. Sure, and I, I don't know if this is something that's going to be answered <laughs> later in the series, and if it is, get it. I understand. Uh, sure. What the hell is Marius? So, uh, Marius is, um, he has, how do I want to say this? Because I don't want to give too, too much away. Um, he is, he, he will go, so what he is, is referred to by many different names. Like some people refer to him as this, or some people refer to him as that. Um, He's not going to be any of those things that people probably think he is just based on the way that he looks and based on how uh, individuals interact with him within the story. Uh, but his sort of origin, not even origin, but sort of backstory and everything, that doesn't, I don't really touch on that until uh, the second arc of books. Okay. Um, so we will get more of that yeah. later. He's, he's more of a catalyst to, <laughs> to get gears running right now. Um, to set in motion. So, the one of the things that I had read before I even started writing was the uh, I forget what the exact book is called, but it's essentially the hero's journey. It's a lot of stuff that you know, Star Wars. A lot of content is based around the hero's journey, and this one lends to it a little bit. But I needed something. Uh, I think it's called the call to action. So I needed some reason for Solomon to sort of. Get on the the Odyssey that uh, that he's undertaking, and Morris is that particular catalyst. He's the one that gets the the wheels to start turning, I guess. And he is a foil that will pop up, you know, fairly frequently. But he we don't really go into depth about what he is or you know what's his motivations and all that stuff until a little bit later. Okay, okay. I just wanted to know that there was going to be more to him because I'm sitting yes. there. What ends up happening? And I'm just like, <laughs> that can't be it. We, nope. we we have to know more about what what that was. <laughs> no, there's there's more. Uh, that yeah, that is. Um, I did that on purpose. <laughs> so. Right. Um, you know, you talk about the origin of werewolves. Is this something 
Is this your own doing, or have you researched this from, like, old text? So, I did a fair amount of research. So, the, uh, I wanted to go back as far as possible because I wanted to, with the series, I like, um, like I was saying before, I really love mythology. Mm-hmm. And different necks of the, like, different areas of the world have all kinds of really fascinating mythology that you never hear about. I mean, you always hear about Greek, and you hear about Egypt, which I'm still doing that because I love it, too. But I also like other stuff, like Gilgamesh, and uh, by setting it in Saudi Arabia, like, way back far enough where it's the cradle of civilization, there's actually a lot of really interesting mythology, not werewolf-related, but, like, other stuff that's sort of in that area that I'd be like, ooh, that'd be a fun foil to have against the main character, or ooh, that'd be an interesting thing to add in the story to sort of make things move forward, Um, stuff like that. But as far as... And I think I literally trailed off and forgot your question, so please ask me. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. Um, <laughs> no, what I was wondering about is the the beginning of Werewolves, as you talked yeah. about in the book. Was this, is this your so, own creation, or is this like based off some old text that you read in the past? So this is based off of mostly my own creation. So it's, mm. I, I tried going back as far as I could because there's a bunch of different arguments as to, you know, what's the first werewolf? Is it because there, there's talk in um, I think it's the Roman mythology of uh, one of the gods like puts a wolf head on somebody. And then there's a saint. Uh, the name escapes me off the top of my head that is also supposed to be the first werewolf. So there's a lot of different first werewolf stories, but none of them really go back that far Um, I used to watch a lot of the show Supernatural because obviously it feeds right into my love of you know folklore and mythology and all that stuff and there was I think it was season 6 they introduced this idea of an alpha and they talked about the alpha vampire and the alpha vampire mentioned that he was lurking in the dark when mankind was first starting to use tools and that sort of gave me the idea I was like hmm That'd be an interesting idea to to sort of have the were- the first werewolf go back that far. Now, I will say that he's not, he won't be the only werewolf, but he is he is how do I want to put this? There is no other werewolf like him. Uh, it, it's not like a like in other werewolf movies. You know, you get bit by the werewolf, you turn into a werewolf. Yeah. That type of thing. Not in this instance. There is a reason why that is, and that does get explained more towards book four as to what's going on there. But I love this. You you have so much planned and so much so yeah. much figured out. I have it planned oh. out to the last page of the very last book. So, man, no. how, how do you keep how do you keep it all on track? You got like a like a like a good outline for everything. So, so I've already written the first five books like three times, just in different formats. Yeah. Um, so I, I've done those books enough times now that I just remember it. The other arcs, I just I wrote out like, okay, this book, this book, this book, this book. This is what I want the theme to be in this one. This is what I want the theme to be in this one, so on and so forth. The last five is where it gets more into modern era. So we're taught like 1900s and later. So that one is a little bit more up in the air because I don't want to plan too, too much and then have it where I go through book by book and then find out, you know, if I've planned out 11 through 15 and I get to the end of 10 and I'm like, eh, what I had planned for 11 through 15 doesn't really mesh anymore with how it ended up, you know. Um, so I don't have it like 
all the way laid out, like page by page or anything like that. But I have the general story in my head as far as you know where it's going, um, and I've just thought about it so many times that that's I that's your D and D dungeon master training yep. right there. That's right, right there, <laughs> the DM yeah. training. Yeah, you, um, you, you plan it all, and instead they send three hours talking to yep. a gnome in the corner. <laughs> yep, or spend uh, two episodes shopping for khakis. <laughs> it could be anything. You never know. <clears throat> um, but as, as far as werewolves go, so like, I like the idea of like watching all the di- like when when you watch all kinds of different werewolf movies, it always seems like they have different like types. Like if you look at the original Lon Chaney Wolfman, I would say that's more human than man. He stands on two legs. Yeah. He's he's not terribly wolfish. He's got a little doggy nose, I guess, and some teeth and claws. But mostly, it's more human. Whereas then you look at the opposite end of the spectrum and you look at either true blood werewolves that are just straight up wolves or american werewolf in london where it's just a big wolf so i i kind of look at it like a spectrum where all these different types of werewolves could exist in the same universe where it's like you get too far on one side you get too much human if you get too far on the other side you get too much wolf and then right smack dab in the middle perfectly 50 50 you got solomon He's exactly 50-50, mm. half human, half werewolf. So um, so I do plan to explore that you know, as time goes on. Um, it probably won't be in the first five books, but right, you know, right. later on and stuff like that. Well, you've def- definitely given, given enough to really uh, – like, I'm, I'm looking forward to all of this because, like I said, you know, first off, the, qual- the quality of the book, like I said, um, the flow of your panels, the art style, mm-hmm. the lettering – Everything is super good quality, and you know, for somebody doing their first comic ever, uh, that's outstanding. Uh, you really Thank should you. be applauded for that first and foremost, and then add in the fact that you've got a heck of a great story here that you are passionate about. Uh, you know, uh, we say it all the time. It, it, you know, it doesn't matter what you put out as long as you're passionate about it and you work hard on it, but. Mm-hmm. I, you you've got passion, you've got hard work, and you've got extreme quality in this. So, uh, you know, home run here, home Thank run. Thank you. The uh, my self deprecating nature can't go without saying this. That uh, the reason that I picked such great artists was I figured if my writing stinks, at least it'll be pretty to look at. <laughs> it all it all worked quite well together. Uh, how when you mentioned production. How how are you doing this? Um, are you expecting so many pages at a time? Are you just sending it to the, the artist and saying, uh, I'll see you later? Um, so um, I, I don't have like a, um, a strict sort of production deadline in my head other than, you know, Kickstarter is going to launch with Dragon Con, so September of every right. year. Um, so the way it works is that I, get, I give a contract that I write up to each of the artists to figure out, you know, what rate would you like to go with per page, all that jazz. And then I give each of them the script. And the first person up is the is the artist. And he and I first sketch up the characters. Okay, what are the characters even going to look like before we get into this book? Because you don't want to start drawing panels and right. then figure out, oh, no, the way you drew the characters, it's actually not the way that I want you to draw the characters. So it's always good to do character sketches first. And because we're doing character sketches, then I include them in the back of the book because I figure, hey, somebody else might like to look at this stuff too. So we start with that, and then 
the colorist then gets that, and then the letterist gets that. But then the artist starts to work through the pages, and everybody on my art team is working on like five different projects at a time. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they're devoted just to, to working on my stuff. So they're juggling five different projects. So usually each week the artist will send me anywhere between one to five pages um, for sketches. Then mm. after we talk about the sketches to make sure if it you know if there's anything needs to be changed, then he actually draws it out. And then if there's any little tweaks, we do that. So we usually get that. And then I pay him as the pages come in. I pay him page after page after page. Okay, yeah. Then I send send that to the colorist. Same thing. I sort of get them whenever the colorist can work on them. Payment for that one gets wonky because there's some sort of weird issue with um, Argentina where they can't accept too much money at once. So we have to like do this weird thing with the payments mm. where I'll pay them for chunks at a time yeah. uh, to to avoid that kind of stuff right. for for him because I'm just happy to, I, I'm like hey I want to pay you like page by page but if you want me to pay you chunks that's fine too like just let me know whatever you want to do I want to do right by you and then once the artist gives me the final pages then I give the or the colorist gives me the final pages then they go to the letterer and you know vice versa and then each of these these steps or phases the art editor comes in and looks and says, you know, they give me ideas. Does, this, does the sketch portion look okay? Does the drawn portion look okay? Does the colored portion look okay? Does the lettering portion look okay? So he will review each of those with me as well. And um, one of the neat things, I think, is that most of the time, the way that I've written, written it in the script, the artist sticks pretty close to it and doesn't really change too much. But every once in a while, he'll have like a really neat idea and he'll put that in there, and I'm all for it. Or sometimes he'll have a neat idea, and then I have another idea that goes with it, and we'll do like some sort of weird Frankenstein thing right. and put them together. Um, there's a page in this book um, towards the end where it's a transformation page, and it's got like all these little pieces on the page, and there's eyes in the background. Yeah, that is one of those Frankenstein uh, things where he, I had, I had written it out one way, then he drew it up a different way. But then I like the way he did the eyes so much previously that I was like, no, nah, I want to use those again. Let's do this and th like let's change it up a little bit. And he and I went back and forth on like what's a good way to make that visually interesting to show that. And I love the way that it turned out. Um, so that, that's sort of how the, the process goes. I really almost never have to say anything to the colorist. I love Ezekiel's work so much. Um, I will say the first time that he gave me a page, I said, think – about the Disney movie Aladdin and their yeah. color palette. Because yeah. this is in the desert, so deserts can be kind of boring in terms of colors. But I'm like, think about purples and blues and oranges, and I love a lot of color. Even if it doesn't make sense, I don't care. I just like a lot of color. So just throw it in there. So I, I love the colors in this and the nighttime scenes where you have the different hues of the pinks and the purples and the blues and all that stuff. Um, and there's no inks in this book. So I wanted to have that, like I'd said before, I wanted to mesh those two styles of Hillbilly and Love of the Lion and put them together. So I said, I don't think we need inks because I think the way that we're coloring it and the way it's designed, it doesn't need it. And I think in the end it turned out to be a, a good move. Uh, I really like the way that it ended up coming out style-wise. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. will say, I, back in the early 80s. I didn't really care for stories that took place in the desert. 
And I was mm -hmm. talking to one of my professors, and they said, uh, oh, you don't like the sand dunes and stuff? No. Um, reading this, I, I really found I love the desert. Um, <laughs> I loved um, I loved where they were at. I loved how they'd leave the, the city, the oasis. And um, mm -hmm. it kept my interest the whole time. And I was thinking, well, actually, it looks like a pretty lively place. I guess I wouldn't mind living there, except for some of the life-threatening things that you put in the story. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I... You really sold me on the desert. <laughs> so. Thank you. Um, and my my roommate, the person who was the the one that said I'd be disappointed if you don't uh, continue this, he also does not like desert scenes. He also doesn't like prehistory stories, and so his interest gets piqued when it moves out of the desert type stuff. So like okay. book three is where they build they build the first city ever. And so you get a lot of different sort of looks and their gods and things like right. that. So it, it has a different look to that one. And then four is Egypt. So again, you get some desert, but then you're going to get some really cool gods and architecture and all that stuff. Right. So uh, my artist has said that he already loves book two more than he loves book one because there's more variation in things. There's more creatures. There's more monsters. There's more things going on in the uh, second book than in the first book. So he... Uh, he liked the first book, but he really likes the second book. So I'm just going to keep trying to give him more and more crazy stuff and just hope that, you know, keep him occupied. <laughs> okay. Now, Rook had mentioned the, the Kickstarter. And um, mm -hmm. in the book, when I finished it, you think you think the people that supported you on the Kickstarter. Uh, would you like to talk about that and your upcoming Kickstarter campaign? Sure. Um, so the last year's Kickstarter was my first ever Kickstarter. Never done one before. Um, I did a ton of research. Uh, asked a whole bunch of people again networking trying to people who had done kickstarters before trying to get some tips on like what should i do what i shouldn't do and in the end i still ended up making a whole bunch of mistakes uh that i had to learn the hard way through okay. but um i had set the goal at six thousand and it ended up coming in uh between eight and ten thousand and um i was really happy with the way it turned out and everybody was super super supportive and we hit the goal fairly quickly um I was hoping I, I, it was sort of like I didn't think it was going to actually happen, but it would have been really cool. I launched it during Dragon Con, so that starts on Friday and ends on Monday. I was like, I really hope that we like hit the goal before the end of Dragon Con. I think that'd be really, really cool. But me being a first-time author of relatively unknown, I was like, eh, it's probably not going to happen because um, you're just gonna. It just sort of has to find its way in front of other people. But everybody who has backed the Kickstarter, and I, I've I thanked each one of them personally multiple times. Um, each person who backed the Kickstarter uh, that I've heard from, they've all liked the book a lot. They've all been asking when book two is going to be coming out. Um, so I'm just happy to get that out to them. And through the first Kickstarter, because of the mistakes that I made, I sort of I made all these spreadsheets to look at. Okay, like the levels that I made, you know, was it worth it in terms of like. Did it make money versus lose money? Because if I'm making items on a Kickstarter and then I'm, I'm losing money making those mm. items, then it doesn't really – it kind of defeats the purpose of the Kickstarter. So I was like, okay, so these I, these levels work, but these didn't work. So then for the next Kickstarter, I'm like, okay, so we're going to change some things up, try and incentivize this or that, and then add more stretch goals and make them you know more frequent after a certain point and all that. So – 
The next Kickstarter uh, is on September 2nd. It's for Lycan Solomon's Odyssey Chapter 2. And the easiest way to get there would be www.lycanbook.com. Made a, literally bought a URL just to redirect to a Kickstarter. Right now, where that goes, uh, if it's before September 2nd anyways, when you're listening to this, it'll take you to a sign-up page where you can just hit a button, put in your email, and it'll give you notification when it goes live. Uh, after September 2nd, I'll change the redirect, and it'll actually go to the Kickstarter page itself hmm. where um, then you can actually you know check the book out there'll be uh, another one of my goofy little videos that I do I'm going to chain myself up in my basement um, <laughs> that'll be fun I'm sure my roommate will love doing that um, and yeah so I right now I'm, I'm sort of in the middle of trying to sell the first book at conventions I have my first convention this weekend um, so I've never done that before I've gone to conventions but I've never tried to sell at conventions right. so that'll be an interesting adventure while also trying to get the Kickstarter ready because we're still working on um, alternate covers and I still have to make the video and then there's some advertisement stuff and there's all kinds of like things that go into a Kickstarter that you might not even think about while you're looking at a Kickstarter. So, um, so yeah, so that is the plan anyways for the for the second Kickstarter. I've set the goal this for this one at eight thousand, so I'm hoping that it's as big, if not bigger. Um, so yeah, we'll just have to see. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, now I want to ask you, Hivehead Studios. So yeah. <laughs> this this is all your creation too. Uh huh. So uh, I'm checking out the page, and I notice you have a Patreon. Uh huh. And you've got different tiers of interaction with the Patreon, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which is you're doing a weekly podcast for updates. Yeah. So because hey, po- you're not busy enough. Because <laughs> I'm not busy enough. <laughs> Actually, podcasts of uh, that type of podcast does not take nearly as much editing as my normal show does. Otherwise, I would not have the time to do it. Um, so my 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 good friend uh, Charles McFall. His internet moniker, he gave himself this title, The Rock God of Podcasting. Um, he is uh, he was the head of the network that we originally joined uh, through our podcast back when we did that. And that's how we ended up getting into DragonCon. And he's been a huge supporter of the book always. And um, I think he backed at the highest level that was uh, there last time. And he's already sporting his hockey jersey and all this stuff. Um, and... At first, when I was doing the podcast, it was just me giving an update and then monologuing. And me monologuing, if you can't already tell through talking to me, I can get very rambly and off-topic very easily and forget where I am and sort of meander about. So I find it easier if I have somebody to play off of. And so the first few minutes of the podcast is me just giving an update on, like, everything that's going on between all the different books or, you know, if I'm going to conventions or this or that. So it's like the first five, ten minutes. That's just for updates. And then it transitions over to where Charles and I talk about usually something behind the scenes or, you know, business-related or making comics or trying to go to conventions and sell. Just all kinds of different uh, things like Kickstarter fulfillment, uh, different types of hurdles you have to go through in terms of shipping things out you know anything you can imagine as far as like building a comic book from scratch as an indie person we sort of try and talk about um, a different topic each week networking was a big one Um, sometimes i'll have other guests if charles is busy like uh my buddy tony henderson sorry tony p henderson uh he was actually in 
Marvel or uh, Avengers Endgame. He his face is on one of the telephone poles, <laughs> and it made the internet go crazy because they were trying to figure out who he was. And then they're like, "Oh, he's just a podcaster." Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that I, I was trying to think. Uh, so back when we made Botched, we had made we tried making a Patreon. And we didn't know what we were doing back then. If there's a running theme here of us not knowing what we're doing, if you can't already tell. And we made a Patreon, and we had all these different levels of like, oh, you get like a T-shirt, or you get a cup, or something, whatever. And I went to BlizzCon and met with a guy named Brian Ibbett. He's really big in, in podcasting circles. Great guy. Love him to death. And he took the time to sit there and talk to me about Patreon. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't ever do merchandise for a Patreon level. You want to do stuff that doesn't cost you anything, but it like gives your audience some like access to you, like your inner thoughts or like something extra. So we changed everything around with Bosch. Most of the stuff doesn't actually take a lot of uh, money-wise. Art does because we, we pay the artists and whatnot, but everything else is sort of like generated on our own. And I tried to do something similar with Hivehead Studios Patreon where – you know, there's a Discord because everybody and their mother has a Discord, so obviously, you know, that's in there. But um, panel sneak peeks. So I'll take panels from pages that got produced that week and I'll say, hey, here's a sneak peek of one of the panels from this page. And then I'll give a brief description of, you know, what's going on on that panel? Why is this happening? Well, you know, you'll have to read to find out that kind of thing. And sometimes I'll do it where I'll show the black and white version and then a couple, you know, months later, then there's the color version, so you can see the difference between the two of them. And then the um, the podcast is the highest level. So it's like I think it's five dollars if memory serves me correct. So I wanted to give people like a, it's like a low barrier of entry, but I wanted to give people as much information, especially if anybody wanted to also you know had similar interest in trying to you know start a podcast or not a podcast, but a, um, a comic book and, and get into this sort of world as well. Uh, trying to pass along the information that I wish I knew. <laughs> when I got in. Right. Um, everything you do, there's always going to be a lot of mistakes if it's some, some new area you're doing on your own. I think that's a good thing. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, it makes it interesting. How did you come up with the name Hive Head? <laughs> so in the long, long ago, I used to go to art school. Um, I attended Art Institute of Pittsburgh for a little over a year. And uh, I, before transferring uh, to do something else because I wasn't very good. And one of my classes was History of Animation. And one of the projects we were working on was a flip book. And I had this thick, I mean thick flip book because I can't ever do anything easy. And it was this chubby-headed uh, person with a beehive haircut. Okay. And then a little bee flies out of the top of it and flies around the person's head. And then the person eats the bee. And then the bee pops around in the cheek and then their head explodes into like a million bees and then it's just one bee and it spells out Hivehead Studios and my teacher said the book was funny and it was cute it's fine but I really like that title you should keep that <laughs> title for a future use it's a good one and so it's always just sat, sort of crept into the back of my brain and I was just like mm. Hivehead Studios okay because you're starting to make things you know businessy um, I was like alright I should probably make an LLC you know, taxes and all that jazz, cause, you know, adulting. Right. And I was like, all right, so I need a business name. And I was like, Hivehead Studios. Because at some point, I would like to do other comics. Um, once Lycan becomes self-sufficient, uh, I have a couple other ones in mind. So 
I was like, well, I need an umbrella to put everything under, so Hive Head Studios. Nice. Um, well, uh, speaking of tropes, apparently the flip book is a trope here in Florida's art schools as well. Because <laughs> I, re- I remember making one myself in art school. Well, I didn't have nearly cool uh, that cool of a name. It was like Dark Star Stu- uh, Productions or something. Oh, God, it was that, so horrible. That sounds horrible. like a, a, a school-age title, though, for you yeah, know, production yeah. studio. Super awesome. <laughs> and I almost went to the art, school, art institute of Pittsburgh. So. Did you? Wow. Yeah, um, small world. I didn't. I joined the Navy instead, but <laughs> that's a probably a better choice. Well, a professor I had in college in Texas recommended he was from Pittsburgh, and he recommended that in the Ivy School of Arts. And I said, "Which one's better?" He goes, "Well, he says at one point Art Institute was better, and another point, you know, he went to both of them." He said, "This was better." Okay, well. At that point, I hadn't been anywhere on that side of the United States, and I didn't have any money, so I joined the Navy and went to another side of the United States I never saw. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but um, I had another question. Oh, yeah, I remember. We're talking about comic books. Have you read comic books before? So when I was little, I used to really be in the comics. Um, I never got any. Like, my parents wouldn't really buy me any comics, mm-hmm. but... At that time, when you went to the grocery store, they had a comic book section. Yes, yes. So, as we would walk by that aisle, I would sneak on off to the comic book section and almost got forgot at the uh, grocery store a few times. And I would just flip through the comic books. And then I saw, it, it sort of just fell off when I got into my teenage years and my college years. And then I started reading comics again when... I started hanging out at Dragon Con. Uh, one of my buddies, uh, Travis Jones, out of Con- uh, Louisville, Kentucky, he had a comic book podcast called uh, "Oh, um, The Blazing Defender Report because he was a f- firefighter. Okay. By the way, it was one of the coolest logos I've ever seen. It was a flaming skull, like, but it had like uh, one of those old school like stage mics, like yeah. the ones with the slits in them, like yep. for the bottom half of the mouth. It was pretty dope. But anyways, nice. um, and so he... he I would ask him, because uh, I would listen to his show, and I'm like, hey, you know, I'd like to start reading comics again. Like, which ones would I like? And he started recommending certain ones. He's like, don't read this, don't read that. I'm like, don't get into this one, don't get into that one. He's like, you'll probably like this one. So he would recommend things like, um, I think the one's called Die. It's a, it's literally D&D, pretty much, where they use special dice, and then they get sucked into a, a D&D world, and then get spit back out years later, and they have... Like, but the injuries they sustained are permanent, and all this other stuff, and they go through life having all this PTSD because of what they experienced when they were little kids. Um, that's, a, <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting series. And then there was one uh, that he got me into. I think it was called Realm, which is again another sort of D and D esque uh, thing. Uh, where you can quite clearly see, okay, that person's a ranger, that person's like a rogue, that you know, that type of thing. I know that book, yes. <laughs> and the, the Last God was another one that I really enjoyed. Um, I can't remember his Philip Kennedy, maybe I forget exactly who wrote it, um, but it was it was I really liked the art style on that one, and then the story was really good. It was a very it was a very short yeah. series, so it wasn't very very long. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've slowly started getting into to more and more comics. And my friend Shannon that I mentioned earlier, she gave me a whole bunch of werewolf comics. So I was looking through those, also trying to make sure that I don't, you know, copy anything inadvertently. Right. Um, but I didn't, so that was good. <laughs> well, what, what did you read at the grocery store? Do you remember? 
Wolverine. I really loved Wolverine <laughs> for some reason. Uh, there was one He's where he fought, he fought a. Uh, there was like a little girl in like a pink dress with a pink bow in her hair, but there was like a white Wendigo with her or something. I don't remember exactly. Oh, yeah, Just that sticks out for some reason in my brain. Um, but yeah, usually the Wolverine stuff usually caught my eye, oh, yeah, yeah. and that was what I would flip through when I was a little kid. So we, we've we, we've mentioned it a couple times here, and I'm going about to torture Don because he does not play. <laughs> oh D&D. no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Botched. Uh, so I, I I popped on Botched today so I could listen to the show and, and get an idea of it. It is Question. not what I expected. A, a which, which episode did you listen to? <laughs> uh, the newest one. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, I just, I just started started there to see like like uh, what it was about and get an idea. Sure, you guys are not playing in um, in fantasy realms. You guys are playing in what? It sounds like it sounds like for me like zombie apocalyptic. It's like Last of Us world. Yeah, it's literally it's pretty much Last of Us. It's like a fungal zombie outbreak kind of thing. So it's like. Uh, Apocalyptic United States, I think, in that episode that you were listening to, they were in Amarillo, Texas. Yep. So they were down there at, a, at an amusement park. I forget what the Wonderland amusement park or something oh, yeah, like that. Wonderland. Yeah. But um, so the, the first couple se- – so if you try and look, you'll you'll find that uh, if you go on Spotify and you look up Bosch to D&D Podcast, there's nothing before season six. It starts at season six. Well, we changed up the cast, so we put everything – and plus, what was funny six years ago isn't necessarily PC anymore, so we put yeah. everything on an archive, so it's like, okay, if you want to listen to it, you can go listen to it over there, but it's not part of our channel, because we're like, new listeners, we don't want to like scare them off or anything like that, so the show is very different. Well, not very different. They're still murder hobos, and they're, we're all still terrible people, um, <laughs> but the humor is a little bit different than it was back then, and the cast is different. But the the first couple seasons, they were fantasy. They were fantasy-related. But I, the thing I like about D&D is that the rules are sort of guidelines as opposed yep. to laws. So you can kind of homebrew whatever you want. So in our in season, I guess it was four, was the first season where we, we started doing other stuff. Season four, we did an H.P. Lovecraft 1932 New York City campaign, which I love. Okay. Um, Season five, space adventure, a mix of Star Trek, Firefly, and Star Wars. Just kind of smash them all together. That was season five. And then season six, we have the uh, sort of Last of Us fungal undead apocalypse kind of thing. And season seven is going to be kind of fantasy because everyone's been, or everybody on the show anyways, has been like, I want to do fantasy again. I'm like, okay, fine. But we're doing fantasy western. So we're doing a western, (laughs) but it's going to be fantasy characters. Kind of like Deadlands? Kind of, I guess. A um, <laughs> little bit like that. Um, I just love westerns, so yeah. I was like, I want to do westerns. So for our live show this year, we're um, basically starting episode one at the live show, and I already got my get up. I'm literally dressed like Clint Eastwood from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Got the whole nine yards, got the boots, the hat. You know, I just got to figure out what I'm doing as far as the cigarello goes, but I don't think they'll let me bring that in, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so each season of the show is a, is a different setting. Yes. Uh, season six you can find on Spotify, like I did today. Um, how long have you been playing D and D? 
technically I started playing D&D 4th edition, which everybody will probably cringe at because everybody hates 4th edition for some reason. I'm like, I, I didn't know anything else, so I'm fine with it. <laughs> uh, high school. So back in 2002, I think, is when I started playing. And uh, we had a buddy move into town, became friends, and he was like, hey, we play D&D, do you want to play with us? And I was like, I have no idea what this is, what are you talking about? And so we'd make the characters, and I really enjoyed how basically whatever you can imagine, you just got to roll a dice to see if you could do it. So yep. as long as you could be super creative, you can kind of do whatever you want to do. And I've always liked that about the game is that it sort of gives you a whole bunch of freedom. There are rules, but again, they're more guidelines than anything else so that you just can't do like insanely crazy things. Um, but then I started DMing. I tried DMing in college. Those same friends uh, basically abused me and used me and like they were like no no no, don't worry this is the rule you don't have to worry about that it wasn't they just made up a bunch of crap so Mm. that they were just completely unstoppable so i stopped dming for a while and then tried it a little bit again then stopped for a while and then the current group one of the guys on the show tristan uh we were living together he started doing a DD group and then i joined their group and then if anybody who plays DD is aware I'm sure everybody is, that scheduling is always an issue because once you miss a session, then, oh, it's easy to miss another one and then another one and another one. Yep. So we had, we had not played for a while, and somebody said, hey, we want to play. Will anybody DM? So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll DM. And sure enough, uh, do you want to guess what the first campaign that I ever DM'd was about? Uh-huh. Lycanthropy. <laughs> so they were, they were all in a prison, and they got uh, they contracted lycanthropy, but they all contracted different forms of lycanthropy. So there, one was like a werebore, one was a were rat, one was a were bat. Like there was oh, all man. there's all kinds of lycanthropy in D anD. d So that was the first campaign that we did. And they liked it so much. They're like, all right, Dennis, you just keep, you know, DMing. <sighs> and then there's a and d podcast called Nerd Poker. It's with yep. Brian Posehn and some other people, and we really love that show. But then it went off the air. And, you know, one of those nights playing D&D, drank too much, and they were, you know, you got to talking, and they said, hey, what if we did a podcast where we, I mean, you know, people might laugh at the ridiculous crap that, you know, we do. And we said, oh, you know, okay, we can try that. And so Tristan came back and started DMing, except Tristan is, uh, or at least was, as I refer to them lovingly, as rules Nazis, where... You have to check the book every two seconds. Like everything has to be a certain way, so it didn't have a very good flow to it because we were constantly stopping to check the rules, and it was a little too dry. So we recorded a couple episodes, listened to them, and we didn't like it. So we switched it over, and I DM'd again. And I, obviously, I do very loosey goosey, and we do the house rule of if you roll a one, a natural one, I roll. Uh, I have them sitting here. I call them my death die. My white and black die, I roll a D100. The higher the number, the worse it is for you. And if it's uh, a 90 to 95, I take a limb permanently. And if it's above a 95 or a 69, because 69 also counts as 100, uh, then it's instant death. <laughs> so nice. that's sort of the house rule we played with. And we recorded like four or five episodes that way, gave them to friends. They were like, kind of low quality audio wise we just had like some yeti mic in the middle of a table because we didn't know what we were doing and we recorded it gave it to friends and said would this be something you'd listen to and they said audio quality aside yes we would listen to it 
So we got better audio equipment, and granted, it was we found it in a barn, but still, it was better than a Yeti mic. And we built up a little studio with like moving blankets and all kinds of whatever stuff we could find. Built the studio up and re-recorded the first few episodes and released it. And you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Nice, nice. Yeah, we um, we are about to finish my six-year campaign. This Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. I went from seven players down to three and back up to four. So, yeah, this this Saturday ends the big bad guy, all that. And then, okay. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, many, many, many questions have been made about like a podcast for ours. And I'm going, no, no, <laughs> way too many inappropriate so, jokes. It's <laughs> so much work. But it, the, the work on editing and then like, yeah, I think a joke might be funny, but I guarantee somebody's going to be offended by some of the stuff said at this table. They go on our extras track. Yeah, yeah. But so one of the things, so I love I, I love DMing and all that stuff. Just I, like we have talked about before, I love telling stories. And one of my favorite panels to do at DragonCon is about DMing or writing for role playing games. And I remember one particular panel that I did. Um, it was all about things not... I think it was called Kill Your Darlings, Letting Good Ideas Go or something like that. And I was on this panel, and somebody asked, they said, you know, we're only six sessions in, and they've accidentally triggered the big bad. And I don't want the story to end, but they've triggered the big bad. What do I do? And everybody else was very sort of one of the more dry D&D podcasts or like, you know, players where it's just like, well, you know, the show's called let your, your, you know, kill your darlings, let the ideas die. So if they get to the end boss, they get to the end boss, just come up with another idea. I said, or I was like, have it be a ruse. That wasn't the, the boss was in another castle the whole time or hell, you could even go crazier. And like a fist of God just comes down and swipes them away and throws them someplace else. You could do whatever you want. Yep. I was like, that's fun. It's your story. You can do whatever you want with it. You don't have yep. to follow any rules. Absolutely. Uh, my players got this close to the big boss, <laughs> and I threw them into a time jump uh, where they screwed up uh, the past and came back to an alternate future. So we did that with the, Yeah, we did that with the 1932 campaign where they were jumping around in time, and it was like, oops, went too far one way and then messed up some stuff. Oops, got to go back. And um, yeah, that's that's the beauty of it. I think you can put it in any setting you want. Um, the rule now, the you know some of the stuff might not work in terms of the classes and the races and all that stuff, but you can always make it up um, oh, yeah. or look it up online. I mean, there's so many homebrew stuff out there. You could probably find something uh, in the realm of what you're looking for. Or there's just so many RPG systems out there now um, that you can yeah. find something as well. Yeah. Well, like just earlier, you mentioned. Um uh, Western and first thing that comes to my mind is Deadlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I keep hearing the, that name over and over again. I'm, I'm going to end up just having to get the book so I can read them. <laughs> <laughs> That's always uh, been the issue with me because, uh, like, I know a lot of people that run adventures out of books, and I've never tried doing it because I'm so used to a group that just doesn't really follow any particular lines and will do. Yeah crazy random crap. I'm like, how does that fit within the confines of a book? Like, <laughs> how does that even... 
<laughs> this is a major problem I had with um, another group that I run. Um, it's all pre-written, so it's like kind of like my mindless. I don't have to do a lot of prep work for these guys. Of course, I end up doing it, but sure. that's besides the <laughs> point. Uh, but they keep doing stuff way off the, the mark for the book, and I'm like, all right, fast, on my feet, on my feet, on my feet, got to change things. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't prefer uh, books out of it, uh, adventures out of the books either. Um, you know, writing something fresh and new and interesting uh, with the players at the table, creating our own world is much, much more fun to me. As oh well. yeah, oh yeah. Um, all right, I, I, I apologize to John. <laughs> oh no, I, I've, I've enjoyed this quite a bit. I I don't play the game, but I don't dislike the game. <laughs> but Dennis, where can everybody find everything on the internet? Uh, every what what would you like to promote? Go for it, man. <laughs> everything so, and anything, right here. So you you can find me floating around on social media, mostly Instagram, because I I pop all my newfie dog pictures up there uh, but world's most okayest DM that's my internet moniker that was given to me so <laughs> world's most okayest DM uh, <laughs> if you'd like to purchase the book you can uh, go over to hiveheadstudios.com where you can actually download the first 18 pages for free to even see if it's something that would interest you um, there's it digital will. versions on there and there's physical copies on there as well, or you can wait until the Kickstarter and there are bundles or add-ons where you can just add the first book on as well if you'd rather do it that way. Um, the Patreon for the book series is patreon.com slash, you could probably guess, Hivehead Studios. And as we had said before, there's a Discord, there's uh, sneak peeks at art, there's free updates uh, as far as you know what's going on with the book every week. I try and get to it this week has been crazy. So I haven't gotten around to do any of that stuff yet, but I'm hoping to before I go on the first convention. And then also a podcast where we talk about behind-the-scenes stuff and give updates as well. Nice. And then the um, Botched a D&D podcast is on all your podcatchers. Literally any podcatcher out there, you will find Botched a D&D podcast. And we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Botched Podcast. Fun fact, people keep buying us URLs to redirect to our Patreon. I can't remember all of them. But I know Freedom Valley Horse Pace is one. I know yes. Sex with Wookies is another. And I know there's a whole bunch with dick blood in the title. I don't remember. Wow. But people keep buying them. <laughs> and so <laughs> we have to keep reading them at the end of the show. My cohorts have a list. And so at the end, we'll be like, you can go to blah, 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 like through every single one of them. And they all go to the same place. We had a guest uh, on because I was just editing that episode. It's the one that just came out. And she laughs because she checked while he was reading the names, she goes, they all go there. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, yeah, they all go there. Um, oh, that's and then, and then lastly is the Kickstarter for Lycan Solomon's Odyssey Chapter 2, uh, Electric Boogaloo, and that is over at lycanbook.com. And that, cool. that's the actual name, Electric Boogaloo? No, that's just, I can't <laughs> say anything with a two in the title without saying Electric Boogaloo in the end. It's sort of like shaving a haircut two bits. Yeah, yeah. I can't help myself. <laughs> Love it. Love it, man. All right. Uh, Everybody listening, if you like to draw, we always are in the need of fake comic book covers to announce a new episode that we use for the Facebook page and the Facebook group. Uh, You may not think you draw well, but we're always happy to get them, and people enjoy them. Uh, You can find it on the contact page of the blog. If you're any kind of recording artist, singer, musician, we're always looking for 
music to play on the musical spotlight. We don't have them when we have a guest, but normally we do. And Rook is really tired of me playing the same thing over and over again. So <laughs> yes. do a brother a favor and send something in. Um, and we have t-shirts. It's on the sidebar of the blog. Um, it's not to make us rich. It's just to help us pay for the posting uh, hosting fees. Uh, listen to the show. Wear the shirt. Until next time, everybody. Read, Read more comics. You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click, click on, on the Cyclops. True Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, call a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.